Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Sense City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Canine's Talking Sense. It's the month of December, and I decided to make the month of December a focus on canine health and wellness. I focus this for detection dogs. However, much of what is talked about over this episode and the next episode coming up aren't just for detection dogs. It applies to all dogs. But as you'll hear me in my interviews, I ask questions where I'm looking for information to see if there's anything that can help, enhance, or maybe even protect our detection dogs through the ways that they deal with the environment when they're searching, Uh, Is there anything that helps searching? And then, as well as uh, canine first aid and things that detection dogs face more uniquely than other dogs do. This episode is one where I sit down with Kimberly Artley. Kimberly Artley owns PackFit. Her company is based on her drive to share information to help other people based on experiences that she's had personally and lessons that she has learned. She takes a very holistic approach to how she cares for dogs and also just not health, but also the mental well-being of both handler and dog. So before I get to that episode, I want to take time out and thank all of you listeners this year for your support, for your emails, Uh, the feedback I've gotten from the podcasts and the interviews I've done has been overwhelming, and I cannot thank you guys enough for that support. That has driven me to do even more, and in 2020, we're going to have some really, really good interviews on tap for that year. Also, I will be vastly enhancing, or I should say building, the webinar aspect of Canine's Talking Sense. So not only will you get interviews with some of the people that will be on here, but we will also transition to do full-on education and learning through webinars. Now, webinars, of course, are a paid service, but it'll be a, a very small fee for you guys to be able to hop on or download and not only listen to a person or a guest I have, but you're going to be able to see PowerPoints. You're going to be able to see videos. It's a lot more interactive and allows for a lot more learning. And my goal is to give you the experience of being there with that person in the privacy or the convenience of your own home or vehicle or what have you. Uh, I want to say vehicle because I don't want you guys driving and watching these things. But with that said, if you have time and you're traveling, uh, those in law enforcement, sometimes we spend many hours in a vehicle. But anyway, I want that education to be available to you, not just through listening, but also through watching. Many of us are visual learners, and I know the value in that. So Look forward to that. Like I said, those things will be all over my social media. Uh, I will also be posting it through uh, pretty much any means I can to get the word out to everybody whenever there's going to be a uh, webinar happening. 
I am working on one for this month. So keep your ears out. Uh, keep your eyes on social media. I will have that information posted probably here shortly. Also, beginning of January, I will be doing another webinar with Stacy Bartlett. She has an amazing uh, list of guests for the first week of January where she'll be ha- hosting, uh, I believe, pretty much each weeknight a different instructor for a webinar. So that will be pretty awesome. Again, I'll be sharing that on my social media feeds. So speaking of the social media feeds, if you do not know my social media feeds, Facebook, it's just going to be Cameron Ford or it goes under my the acronym I had there was CPF2137. So C is in Charlie, P is in Paul, F is in Frank, 2137. That's the handle for Facebook. Also on Instagram, it's Cameron Ford K9. Just Cameron F O R D K number nine. You can follow me there. I pretty much post most things that are on Facebook, on Instagram, and vice versa. And then lastly, you follow Silver State Canine on both Facebook and Instagram. I also share all the information there as well. So without any further ado, let's head on over to the episode with Kimberly Artley. Hello and welcome to this episode of Canine's Talking Sense. This episode is geared to our month of canine wellness and health. Um, On this segment, I actually get to specifically focus more in on dogs' mental well-being, dietary well-being, and as I researched this information, I came across somebody who has written a book. Uh, The book is called My Dog, My Buddha. And she's also put together a number of different uh, supplements or or a list of supplements that can help the dog's health, uh, give the dogs, you know, remedies for certain types of things. Um, But the main focus of a lot of what she does is the interaction between you and your dog. And I felt that that was so important. So I'm super happy to have on the show, Kimberly Artley. Kimberly, welcome to Canine's Talking Sense. Hi, Cameron. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I, you know, like I said, I've had fun, you know, following the different bits of information you put out, the books. Oh, thank um, you. And, and of course, what you sent me the other day, the supplement, that was awesome because there was, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff on there that I didn't even know that I hadn't seen myself. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, that was, I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, so I guess, so just for the listeners who don't know anything about you, um, just give us like a background tell us like kind of how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, firstly, I think it's really important, um, to just point out, I'm not, I'm not a vet or a doctor or anything like that. Um, my background is really strong in human nutrition. Um, and that's just really led, um, directly into, um, my, my passion for canine nutrition. Of course I had, Two of my own dogs, two pivotal, uh, two of my greatest teachers, two of my um, own dogs in my life, Um, one from a behavioral standpoint, his name was Lobo, the other from a more nutritional um, health standpoint, Tucker. Um, With with Lobo, I was was doing health and life coaching, and I was teaching yoga and Pilates and 
just I, I was more in the, the human health and wellness um, arena at the time. Um, with my dog Lobo, I was uh, I was married, and then he he was. Um, Gosh, for the first like three, three and a half years of his life, I was a first time like solo responsibility dog owner. Okay. And um, I, I was learning about, I was just learning about things as I went. Um, you know, exercise was really good. Uh, sure. you know, good nutrition was good, all, all of these things. And I was constantly exposing him to like new and different environments, different people, different dogs. Um, so he was he was really well adjusted. I mean, we were hiking and running and doing all sorts of things. He was constantly being stimulated by various things all the time. So he was really, really just, he was balanced. He was well-rounded, well-adjusted. And then when the divorce went down, it was like a switch flicked in him. And all of a sudden he became overly aggressive, overly protective. Uh, he was high risk to have around anybody and everybody, even dogs that he played with um, those three years of his life. Wow. And I had, you know, in my mindset at the time, and this is a very common mindset, it was, oh my God, what is wrong with my dog? My dog needs help. My dog needs training. My dog's got problems. My dog's got issues. It was all like my dog, my dog, my dog. Sure. And I, I spent thousands of dollars I did not have, um, went through several different trainers, and they were all um, unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. Um, he was they were all harping on the obedience aspect uh, portion of the equation. And, you know, so while he was a well-trained dog, he was still not a well-behaved dog. And there were a lot of ingredients that I I just, I wasn't aware of at the time that were being missed. Um, As a last ditch effort, he went through a two week board and train program and he apparently did fine when he went, when he was there. And then when he returned back to me, went right back to his old behaviors. And I mean, there's just, there's a, there's a great deal of information there and I wasn't ready to recognize it or see it at the time. Um, it just, and and nobody was pointing it out to me. So unfortunately, um, long story longer, he, um, ended up biting somebody pretty significantly and he had to be put down and I had exercise, uh, all options. Um, you know, prior to that, reaching out to friends and friends of friends of friends and until I could figure things out. But so that set me on this trajectory. Like I I wanted to figure out everything that I possibly could about what, what was missed? What were the, what were the ingredients that were missed by all those trainers? Um, and then for the nutritional one, Tucker, uh, Tucker was next in line as, as a great teacher of mine. Um, he ended up, uh, I was dutifully, uh, using the flea and tick stuff on him. Um, we were hiking all the time. We we're outdoors all the time. And, uh, around age four and a half, um, he started having grandma seizures and I bounced around from vet to vet trying to figure out, um, you know, what, what the cause was. And they're like, we don't know. We're going to call it idiopathic epilepsy, which means we don't know what the cause is. And, um, they just gave me a bunch of medications, uh, that were really harsh on his internal organs. And the last vet that I saw was a neurologist and she was able to link the, um, chemicals that were in the flea and tick stuff to his seizure activity. And that's something we're actually seeing. It's, it's, it's really common actually. 
And different dogs are going to have different reactions to that. But he ended up having a back-to-back seizure episode uh, one night that just it didn't stop. And um, anyway, so after the untimely passing of Tucker, I just I threw myself into research. And, um, you know, what I discovered was that fleas and ticks target the animals with the weaker immune systems. It really is. It's all about the immune system. So I'm like, okay, well, how are we weakening the immune system? Um, First is through nutrition. Most of us are feeding uh, food like product as opposed to real food. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's a massive difference there. Um, Second of all, uh, over vaccinating is, is another, uh, is another issue. And um, there's, Apparently, and from what I've learned, um, most vex, what they don't disclose is that um, most vaccinations will last the lifetime of the dog. So there's a test that we can run called a titer test. And uh, okay, good. You know about that. Um, But what that will reveal is whether or not the animal still has antibodies in their system from the last round of vaccination. So we're not inundating and bombarding their system. So the immune system takes a hit from that. The immune system takes a hit from... um, uh, from nu- nutritionally speaking. And also just if there's a lot of stress in the animal's life, just like with us, you know, the immune system's going to take a hit from that. If, um, you know, the, if they're rolling around in grasses that have been sprayed with like chemicals and pesticides and all that, and they're eating the grasses that have all that stuff all over it, that's going to contribute to it. But there's, there's a lot of different things that are contributing to um, the state of health as far as the immune system goes. So when you strengthen and build the immune system from within, it's like um, it's like a natural barrier. It's a natural preventative in and of itself. You know, it's you're getting yeah. those soldiers and you're building an army, so to speak. So, um, I mean, my guys, I I haven't used flea and tick or heartworm uh, medication since. Um, I mean, granted, we're not living out in the country, and sure. I mean, we're you know we're living in the suburbs. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I've been able to control um, fleas and ticks, heartworms, all that beautifully through strictly through nutrition and, and supplementation. So very interesting. So obviously those things taught you, like you said, a lot and helped you get out there and research and yeah. learn even more yeah. uh, about uh, all these different things that you these you encountered because of that. So yeah. I guess that brought you to writing your book. Um, Discuss a little bit about the, the about your book and what uh, you share in that book and how to help people, uh, that relationship between human and dog. Mm. So my dog, my Buddha, that was, um, gosh, it, it, I, I always liken dog training um, to inadvertent life coaching. Mm-hmm. It, it really, really, truly is. I mean, we are there primary source of information in this world. I mean, they, they should be looking to us for their cues or guidance, their directives, their information, how to feel in each and every scenario that they enter into. Um, so when relationship is strong and that's, um, I, I, I teach my clients what I call the four elements of dog training. Okay. And I was going through this, um, uh, I kind of alluded to it when I was talking about Lobo but um, the four elements of, of dog training, the first one is foundational, and that's essentially relationship building. At, at the core and at the foundation of 
every successful, sound, strong relationship is the trust and respect factor. If we, if we haven't built that, if we don't have trust and respect with our dogs, we've got, we've got nothing to build upon. We've got nothing to grow from. And they're going to give us the middle finger every time we tell them sure. to do something. You yeah, know, of absolutely. Course, somebody can make the argument, well, if it's not forced, but you know, anyways. Yeah, no. um, the second element is obedience training. And obedience training to me is just strictly brain training. It speaks to the mental body of the dog. And I, I talk about the whole dog, the four interconnecting bodies, the mental body, the emotional body, the physical body, and the energetic body. You've got dogs with softer energy, low energy. Soft energy speaks more to the mental body, low energy more to the physical, and then strong energy, like a mentally strong dog and a high energy dog, again, to the physical body, a dog with a great deal of energy to burn. Um, but the, um, obedience training speaks more to the mental body of the dog. And this is just subscribing meaning to verbal cues and commands. And that's, that's really it. And then the next one you have, um, state of mind conditioning. And this is something that I really, really wish I had been aware of when Lobo was alive and state of mind conditioning is, you know, simply it's a barometer for a dog's level of arousal, the level of excitement. Um, in the, in the pet dog world, which is where I typically play, um, yeah, this is, there's a big difference between a response and a reaction. And I know in the working dog world, um, equipping our dogs and conditioning them to, uh, react appropriately and immediately is, is really big. Um, and it usually comes from a, a, a different headspace. So comparing, a response and a reaction, a response comes from a cool ground, grounded. And when I say grounded, I mean like unemotional um, sure. headspace. Whereas a reaction is a little more off the cuff. It's a little more charged. It's a little more amped with, with humans. Yeah. You know, we, when we're emotionally charged about something we're when we're really ticked off or really upset or, or whatever, we tend to react. Yeah. Um, our responses tend to be a little more off the cuff. That's why it's so important to take a step back and say, whoa, all right, I need to take a breather. I need to take some distance. I need to take some space, recollect myself so I can reapproach this situation from a, a clearer and more grounded you know, standpoint. But state of mind conditioning, I'm, I'm really big on um, reinforcing and conditioning and rewarding calm. Yeah. Um, Calm breeds calm, as we taught. In, yeah. In, within the Naval Special Warfare community, that's a very common phrase uh, that's prescribed by when it comes to a lot of the situations that uh, SEAL team operators go through. It's chaos everywhere. Yeah. And if you feed into that chaos, you become hectic yeah. and your mindset isn't clear. And in situations that are very dynamic like that, you need to have clarity. Yeah. And to do that, calm breeds calm. So, yeah. it's and becoming the eye of the storm. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And like you're saying, in, you know, and I'll bring it into the detection dog world, we come into, let's say, searching an area with uh, a plan or a thought process or whatever, or, you know, training wise, I want to accomplish this or I know where this is at. And then they see the dog doing whatever it's doing, it's not necessarily following or the dog is, you know, screwing around or sniffing the ground or doing things that is frustrating the handler. Well, then that frustration, the common saying that we say the, you know, it runs down leash and mm -hmm. 
then our mindset goes into a certain type of elevation or yeah. uh, a direction. And yep. then that has a big effect on now how the dog is going to perform. And, yeah. you know, kind of what you're alluding to is, you know, the more that uh, you get spun up and uh, get mentally out of control, yes, it's going to go down to the dog, yeah. correct? It's all yeah. information. And, you know, the leash, I did a blurb not too long ago on how the leash is one of the most abused dog training tools available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's, it's really what it, what it should be is a means of communication. It's, it's a way to clearly communicate. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it's used to restrict, to restrain, to, to hold back. There's always a lot of tension and there's a much different intention um, with it. But whether we're working with um, aggression issues or uh, anxiety issues or what, whatever it may be, teaching the language of the leash is the first thing that we always start off with because once you learn how to use the leash effectively, it becomes an absolute game changer in how clear and how effective you are with your communication. Oh, but, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, so circling back to the state of mind stuff. So mm-hmm. dogs, they're, they're mainly about, I, I think they're mainly about two things. They're, they're about whatever it is they're going to gain through practicing something, whether it's a certain, making a certain choice exhibiting a certain behavior or practicing a certain state of mind mm-hmm. and what's going to ensure their survival. Mm-hmm. They're such simple creatures. So, I mean, the, the survival bit we've, we've got, we've got that in the hat. They're going to survive sure. under our care. Yes. <laughs> and so Hopefully. we need to turn our, you know, our attention to, okay, well, what is it that they're gaining when they're practicing certain things, when they're exhibiting certain behaviors and practicing certain states of mind? And a lot of the, the dogs that we work with, the behaviors that we're, um, that we're working on are excitement-induced and excitement-fueled. So I'm really big on conditioning calm. So whenever a dog is to gain anything, it's through practicing an exhibit, like practicing a calm state of mind. So there's, um, like I always, I, I'm a big, I'm a visual person. I always draw like diagrams and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that with my clients when I'm explaining things to them. And with state of mind, I, um, I, I draw like a, like a rating scale between zero and 10, um, between zero and five is where is what I call calm. Um, and then when they start creeping up above a five, they hit a six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, nine and 10 is what I call no man's land. And when they're in that headspace, it's very, very, very difficult to reach them and get through to them. So there's this beautiful little space in between that we call the window of opportunity. And this is, this is the area that we can take notice of uh, rising, escalating states of mind and address them immediately so we can de-escalate it. So every, every single body part on a dog is giving us invaluable information as to what their current emotional state is. So like, mm-hmm. you know, the shape of their eyes, whether their mouth is open or closed, their rate of yep. panting, how their weight is shifted, how they're holding their ears, whether or not there's a ridge in the brow, the, the hackles, the, the tail, like all of that all that stuff. I mean, of course you have to put it all, uh, consider the the context, but, um, and when we can, when we learn how to read our dogs, then we will understand how to better advocate for them, how to better step up and in if, and when needed, you know, just to manage and control their state of mind because the body, the body always follows what the mind is doing. When the mind is relaxed, the body's relaxed. 
when the mind is juiced up, the the body's going to get juiced up. You're going to see it reflected in the body. So, oh um, yeah, the, the chemistry in the in the brain changes, you know, dramatically. Yeah. And a lot of what I do now with canine cognition, we talk about much of what you're saying, which is, mm. um, you know, as certain factors happen, the chemistry in the brain changes. Yeah, and levels of arousal change cortisol levels and dopamine and so on. Yeah. And things that we thought of in, and I'll talk about the working dog world. We thought it's highly valuable to get this dog excited to go do a search or get mm -hmm. it all worked up. Yeah. And there is some value in helping or creating interest in something, let's say, but when you take that dog and your scale was a great scale to kind of use for this too, which was, in that zero to five, I, I could have their attention. Let's say zero, I don't. Then one's kind of, okay, you're looking, but you're not paying attention completely. But right around five, where I've got the dog's interest peaked, it's looking at me. It's going, okay, I think I know what you know is going on. Then I have, by having their attention, I can then begin the search. If I take them all the way and I get them so excited, they're at that seven, eight, nine level, they aren't actually doing very well at searching anymore because they are so mentally stimulated that they become very ineffective yeah. at doing the search work. Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, keep, you know, finding that right point and every dog is different. You know, that's the other mistake trainers make is they do the same, let's say um, we call it like stimulating the area, the search area or getting the dog interested. Well, they do the same thing for every dog. Yeah. are very similar. And the problem with that is, you know, some dogs will redline really quick and other dogs, you know, you know, do not respond. So you have to be flexible in how you approach that specific dog yes. and how to get them engaged, but engaged at the right level where learning is occurring and there's a good memory sequence occurring. So that way they understand what the task is. Yeah. And if they're overly aroused or the handler gets themselves you know, worked up because they're nervous or whatever, that arousal state re re reflects into the dog as well. And then Absolutely. of course, now we're not getting, you know, what we want to happen, happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, um, it, it's, it, it's so important. Like every, every dog is, is, I mean, they're, they're just as individual as human beings are, you Absolutely. know, and it's, it's so important. And the, the only way we're really going to, uh, to, gather that that understanding is through through bonding through building through spending quality time with the animal and you know seeing what what their uh what motivates them seeing it just mm -hmm. getting a sense and a, and a feel for for who they are as the individual they are their sensitivity levels their you know all of that absolutely so you talked about you know being calm so what are some things that a person can do to regain calmness uh, with themselves and with the dogs. Um, like you said, some dogs may walk into an environment and I'll kind of, you know, link this towards the individuals in the nose work world, but it's also the same for professionals. You may walk into an environment and then the environment itself creates excitement or arousal to the dog. Mm -hmm. And we see that. And then of course, sometimes we act in kind, we get all nervous, like, no, knock it off or calm down or whatever we end up doing. Yeah. But what are some good techniques that you could share that um, that you found effective to kind of regaining that center? 
Well, I think in order to strike um, a balance with anything, you really have to counter whatever it is with its exact opposite. So if you're trying to counter like super low, unmotivated, whatever energy, you're going to counter it with a a lot of excitement. Like, come on, let's get, let's get going. Let's get motivated. Let's go. Yay. Yay. You know, you're going to counter it with a lot of excitement. And if you've got a lot of excitement that you're dealing with and you're trying to balance that out, then you counter it with just uber calm. Um, And I mean that we, like I said earlier, I mean, everything is information and, you know, this is where the self-awareness aspect, the, the self-awareness portion kicks in, just becoming more self, self-aware, more aware of the type of information that we're sharing and that we're sending out without even speaking at all. I mean, mm-hmm. becoming more accountable for the type of energy that we're bringing into each space. Are we nervous, anxious, ticked off, frustrated, impatient, bitter? I mean, any. Oh, yeah. um, because that, again, that's, that's information. And Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, again, it really depends on the dog, but, um, you know, just maybe taking the dog for a walk and just moving through it and just kind of allowing movement, uh, under, you know, with, with calm guidance to, um, just help them to bring it back down. And there's also, um, gosh, of the two, of all the commands we could teach our dogs. And again, I'm kind of approaching this from, um, a different angle. Um, but I I think of all the, all the commands we could teach our, our, our dogs, the two most valuable are one having a solid recall because it really can be a matter of life or death. And two, the place Mm -hmm. command, the place command, it's like calm on command. It's like doggy meditation and it teaches the dog, of course, impulse control, but, you know, it gives them one thing to focus on, one thing to do, and it also helps them to become more of an observer rather than an active participant in every single thing that's going on around them. Yes. So yep. the, the place command can really um, help a dog, it, again, just to kind of regain, just uh, take it down a couple notches and, and help them find their center. Again, it's, it's, it really is like doggy meditation. It's like what happens to us on the meditation mat. This episode is brought to you by The Sensible Canine, making sense of scent work. The Sensible Canine is owned and operated by Pete Stevens. Pete Stevens has a vast experience in detection dogs, and myself and Elliot Zibley were the first three three bald guys everybody remembers us as, working together, uh, putting out various seminars under Sensible Canine. And it has since grown to what it is today and keeps Pete pretty busy. Sensible Canine is uh, a education and workshop-based business. Pete goes to your area or you come out to Southern California and go through various types of seminars where we focus on the skill sets needed. Um, Most times geared towards nose work, but these days it's expanding to all types of scent work. Uh, professional and sport so look up uh, the sensible canine the website is exactly that the sensible canine.com i will put a link in the show notes contact them set up a seminar or come to one of the seminars that we host 
uh, many times in the Southern California area, but soon we will have our first sensible canine in Las Vegas at the Silver State Canine Facility. So again, look up the sensiblecanine.com. It's k9.com for the end of that. But again, I'll have the show notes. We'll have the web link there for you. 2019 has been a wonderful year here at Silver State Canine. And we are so thankful for all of you who have come to either our handler courses, our trainer courses, or our seminars. 2020 is already starting off to be a busy year for us. And we created a new calendar that will be on our website and on our social media feeds. If you are looking for a handler class or you're looking for a trainer's class, contact us. Our classes are focused on proven scientific and psychological training methodology that helps you train and communicate to your dog in a much more efficient and effective way. We also offer seminars in a variety of topics and now we have added even bite work and protection work to the courses and classes that we have here at Silver State Canine. Also, if you're looking for a trained detection dog, contact us. We customize each dog that we train for any of our clients based on your needs. And in this process, we work with you step by step from selecting the dog to the training of the dog to then the handler school that you'll go through when you pick the dog up. So again, if you're looking for any of our Silver State Canine services to include our mobile classroom where we come to you, contact us. Info. I-N-F-O at SilverStateK9.com or just go visit our website. We've redesigned it, updated it, www.SilverStateK9.com. That's SilverStateK, the number nine, dot com. Are you looking for a canine record-keeping software program? Look no further than Cats Canine. I use Cats Canine myself. I can tell you the Cats Canine Activity Tracking system is a dynamic record keeping program designed specifically for canine operations training deployments and as well as keeping track of expenses of dogs their veterinary care x-rays i'm telling you the amount of information that you can put into this program is amazing and the information it gives back to you helps either justify why you're doing things a certain way gives you specific numbers on deployments, the specific numbers in training. How often are you running a certain training aid? How often are you doing tracks? How long are the tracks? If it comes to apprehension, how much apprehension? Is it scenario-based? Is it working on certain issues? I'm telling you guys, this program is a huge help. I, like I said, use it here in Las Vegas. Um, one of the amazing things that I really like about it is how I can, let's say for me in my area, as the instructor or trainer for that day, I set up and document that training. Those others that are in my area that are also on cats, I can quickly share to them what that training was that day. So they don't have to come over to me and go, hey, Cameron, what aid was that that you put out? And what was the size of it? And what was the set time? They don't have to do any of that. All they have to do is already be on the CATS program, and when I'm done setting up the training and I put out the uh, information into CATS on my end, all I do is share. I just go down, click, 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 
to all those that were there that day, and it shares right to them uh, all the training that we conducted to include my notes that I made on observation as a trainer and instructor for that canine team. So they can still put in their information, uh, what they saw their dogs do, but mine as the instructor and trainer is also there. So I'm telling you, hands-on experience, uh, I really enjoy using this program. So this has been around a long time. He's been helping uh, Bob Eden is the creator of, of CATS, and he has developed this since 1992. It was the first software ever developed for law enforcement canine operations and continues to be an industry leader. So go to catsplatinum.com. That is K-A-T-S-P-L-A-T-I-N-U-M.com. Catsplatinum.com. Go check it out. Mark your calendars for February 28th through March 1st. So that's February 28th. 29th and March 1st, come out to Las Vegas, come to the Sniff and Bite seminar with myself and Carlos Ramirez. We held our first Sniff and Bite seminar in Ocala, Florida back in November, and it was a great success, and we decided to bring the show to Las Vegas. Carlos will be coming out. We break the three days up into a day and a half of detection and a day and a half of bite work and decoy skills. So if you're looking to enhance your skills as a decoy, come to the seminar. If you're looking to enhance your skills in detection work or to work with your dogs and understand certain scientific or cognitive approaches to detection work, come to the seminar. If you want to do some problem solving with bite work and have somebody experienced as a decoy as Carlos is, come to the seminar. To sign up, just contact me, email me at Cameron at FordK9.com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at Ford, F-O-R-D-K, the number nine.com, Cameron at FordK9.com, email me with Sniff and Bite and that you want to sign up for the one in February in Las Vegas. Those dates, one more time, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st here in Las Vegas. Hope to hear from you guys. It'll be a great event. So obviously those that do nose work and scent work are very familiar with a lot of those things. The professional world, those that do bomb drug detection or police canine activity work, um, they're probably seeing this more in their world now because Mm -hmm. a lot of trainers uh, are taking from the civilian aspect because the police command works very well for long downs and stays that the professional world has to go through and train for. Mm-hmm. You brought up recall. Recall is one of the main components that's needed for a professional dog handler. Um, there's you know, a lot. That's what I love about these conversations. I have people from diverse backgrounds that may not be directly related, let's say to the professional world. Mm-hmm. There's, there is very great or very good crossover yeah. information that you can take and apply. It's just Absolutely. how you apply it, you know, right. and, uh, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of times individuals haven't had an opportunity to, um, hear somebody like you talk about these things, but also, you know, on the professional side, I know when I first got into it, it was always like, oh yeah, that's the pet stuff. Stay away from that. That's really you know, <laughs> foo foo things, you know, don't worry about that. You know, I mean, come on, my dog, my Buddha, are you kidding me? Are you really going <laughs> to? You know, that's exactly how the mentality would be. Yeah, versus, yeah. 
versus looking at it and with an open mind going, okay, yeah. so there's information here. Yeah. Maybe well, not all the information applies to me yeah. or my dog, but you know what? There is information here that is highly valuable, just like what we've been yeah. talking about, which is that, you know, that mindset of how to work with your dog, how to keep the dog in a good working mindset mm-hmm. that's efficient. You know, that's yeah. the that's the biggest thing, especially for anybody that does uh, detection work is it's you want your dog in a efficient state of mind. Because again, being all hectic and sniffing all over the place means they're blowing by things. They're not fully checking. They're inhaling versus sorry, they're exhaling versus inhaling because they're panting because they've got themselves so worked up and so forth. Yeah. Um, they they're missing things because of that. So yeah. just taking some of this information that we've been talking about helps them become more efficient searching tools. Yes. And and the other aspect of everything that you know we're we're still hitting on is the cognitive aspect. Just like you said a second ago, how we walk, mm-hmm. our voice tones. Yes. The dogs have made inferences from this yes. to go, okay, this equals that. So yeah. when I see this or hear this or we're doing this, this is probably what's happening, which then immediately alters their mindset. Yeah. And it can help, but I often see it hurt. And yeah. then again, those that compete, their mindset the day they show up for their competitions, they are in a total different mindset. I've seen the nerves of people, you know, get the best of them, the professional side. All I have to say is we're doing a certification and the professional handlers are like, the cops are going to be like, Oh dang it. Come on dog. Don't screw me now. You know, and the dog does, usually does great. But then because that handler sees a clipboard in someone's hand, they automatically fall apart or they overanalyze every little detail the dog does, which the dog's going, what are you doing? Why are you acting weird? Why is this happening? Are you stressed? You know, mom, dad, what's going on? And then that has that effect. So exactly why dog training is inadvertent life coaching. Yeah, it absolutely is. No, it's just, it's that fear of failure. It's that fear of making mistakes. It's that fear of everybody yeah, it's that fear of judgment. It's the fear of uh-huh. it, there's so much fear associated with it. I mean, so it, it's um yeah, and that's exactly why. I mean, my dog, my Buddha, is is more about uh, human empowerment, human psychology, human behavior uh, than anything. It's just it's how it relates to our dogs. It's like sure. a human and canine psychology book, a human and canine behavior book, just all intertwined and, and meshed together. Oh yeah. You know, but no. we can we can learn something from everybody. We can learn something from everybody regardless of uh what their training approach is, regardless of the background, regardless of the experience, just regardless. We we will learn we will learn something from from everybody. That's for sure. And 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 that's the and the great thing is I'm watching this evolve. Um, you know, for me, this is my 26th year doing, you know, canine related activity and training and so forth. And hey. <laughs> yeah, it just means I've been around a while. <laughs> but, uh, but what's nice is compared to when I was first getting into this career field to where I'm at now, the acceptance of information from all types of sources is yes. much better now than it ever was. And that's, you know, all like, we're doing right now on a podcast. It's the accessibility yeah. of information, technology, making that easier for everybody. Yeah. Um, 
And then a lot of times it's the ability to kind of, you know, the proofs in the pudding, you know, so people that are posting things, whether it be videos or, or training techniques or whatever they're doing, people can say, huh, maybe that does work. Or maybe I should look at this differently or, you know, having your, your book to read or listen to or, or all these different aspects that now exist that, of course, didn't exist back in 1995 when I first got into this that are now, you know, available. So, you know, and as you've probably seen, even still today, despite all these things that are available and easy for us to uh, gain knowledge from, there are still many what we call the tribes of the canine world. Yeah. You know, there are still the factions that, well, we train this way. This is what we do. We don't listen to this people over here. Yeah. Those things are are breaking down, but it's still very much, unfortunately, in existence, but uh, not nearly what it used to be. So this goes to another question. And and this is a lot of times I've asked this, uh, especially on the like professional or even um, some of the doctors I've talked to in psychology or or cognition, Um, human effect in in the dog, how the humans affect dogs. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask this to you from your point of view and based on your experiences, but does a handler's bias or feelings have a direct impact on the dog? Absolutely. Okay. So, and, and and what have you seen that kind of connects that dot? Well, uh, again, like it's just, it's all information and we're, we're always sharing something. Every, everything is a conversation. We're, we're in constant dialogue with our dogs, whether we realize Mm -hmm. it or not, everything is a conversation. And like you had said earlier, you know, the vocal inflection and, and pitch and tone, like, we could create a lot of excitement if we talk about you know, we raise, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. that. And there's also a big difference between, um, and I'll, I'll use, I often use this as an example with my pet dog clients, but like, uh, sit, sit, no, sit with that vocal inflection going up, you know, <laughs> like pretty, please sit, pretty, please, pretty, please with a question mark versus sit. Yeah. There's a much different energy behind it. There's a certain level of confidence. There's a, this is not up for debate. Put your butt on the ground. Yeah. You know, it's, um, they, I always, one of the lessons in the book is be the parent, not the friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, when we, different dogs, different approaches, you know, some softer dogs will require a, a, a certain approach from us. Uh, some harder, more mentally strong, more willful dogs are going to require a certain approach from us. Just like, just like children. There's so many parallels in raising a child between raising a child and and raising a well-rounded, well-mannered, well-adjusted, balanced, healthy dog. There are so many parallels. Um, Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Okay, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm trying to remember what your question was. Oh, no, no, you, you did good. You answered it. <laughs> no, believe me, a lot of these things all overlap. It was the bias. It was talking about you know, how the handler's feelings or bias oh, or something yeah. has that effect. And like, yeah, obviously, because, it's, a, it's a very clear. Yeah, yeah, because it's all a conversation. So it's going to be reflected in our voice. It's going to re- be reflected in our pitch and tone and inflection. It's going to be reflected in our body language. It's going to yeah. be reflected in our posture. It's going to be reflected in how we're showing up in the space, how we're holding the leash. I mean, it's, it's reflected in everything. You know? and, and what I, what I love is having someone like you explain that because, you know, your, your background isn't coming from the detection dog world, either in sport or professional. 
And yet you're hitting on the exact same things that we have all talked about that have been doing it for a number of years, what we see, and even the psychological and the cognitive side of things all, you know, matched exactly what you just said without you even really coming from those worlds. Yeah. And you describe the exact same thing. Well, dogs are dogs, but you know, it's the difference is context. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's a different context. We're, we're asking different things of them. We're requiring different things of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really big on conditioning calm in the pet dog world because a lot of the behaviors, the misbehaviors, the challenging behaviors that we're dealing with are excitement fueled, excitement induced, but excitement, you guys really use to your advantage. Like this sure. is, this is something you want to build that you want to channel that you want to direct um, and, and you need that, that energy and that excitement level to, to get things done, you know, yeah, but, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. there's, I mean, there is conditioning that on and off switch for balance though. And I think oftentimes we're, we're focusing more, I, well, not we, but <laughs> perhaps yeah, yeah. <laughs> there might be a little more focus on con- the, the, the on switch is being conditioned and, um, uh, nurtured more than, than the off switch. The off switch is just, you know, putting a dog in a kennel and, and, and that's it where they could still be juiced and amped or whatever. But, um, excitement is usually from what I've seen and from what I've witnessed, um, uh, excitement is usually being reinforced and conditioned a lot more. So it's, it's a little more difficult for a dog to reach, uh, to, uh, to have that off switch, you know? Sure. And you bring up a great question that I'm actually going to discuss on my social media probably this week, uh, which is right now we're in October, yeah. uh, even though this episode will come out in December. Um, so there is a big conception, and I feel, and many do, uh, a misconception that in order to have a good working dog, it needs to be kenneled whenever it's not working. Mm-hmm. And in order to keep those, uh, you know, lack of a better term, behaviors and drives at a higher level of function, right? that dog needs to be put away in its area and not messed with or really engaged with unless you plan on taking it out to work. Because that way you ensure that dog is going to be at its optimal work level because it's so happy to be out so and it up. wants to work. Yeah. yeah. It, so – Let's talk about that a little bit because since you brought it up and I have my things about now, I'll, I'll, I'll explain those too as we as we discuss this. Yeah. But what's your opinion on or what is your thoughts on that kind of mentality? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's again, I'm like I'm, I am I play in a completely different world. So I, I don't I don't want to speak outside of my scope of uh, understanding. Okay, um, so I'll, I'll, break, I'll say it this way. So. What is what have you seen if a dog is contained yeah. and separated from the members of, let's say, its family that it's around, the, the yeah. humans that it engages with? Is that helpful or is that has is there let's put the pros and cons. How's that? We'll make it Ooh, is yeah. it more pro or con to have this set up that way? I I I think I may come from a uh, the school of thought that I I, I mean dogs, um, you know they're social animals they're they're pack creatures just like humans are we're social pack oriented um, animals yep. and um, isolation I think does something uh, 
psychologically, uh, mentally, emotionally. Um, so, you know, again, certain dogs, certain approaches, uh, uh, whatever, you know, context is a factor, the, the, the job, the individual dog, like all of those things. Um, what I did, what I did see and, and witness was, um, dogs, uh, when they were getting let out of their, their crates and what people were struggling with is as soon as the, 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 the crate door would open and the dog would just like burst through like a, like a freaking tornado, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and they were, they were struggling to, you know, just get a handle on the dog and he was just going berserk. And I, I saw that often. Um, but that, that level of excitement, there, there was no, there was no, um, expectation surrounding the door. Like, you know, within the pet dog world, you know, I, oh, yeah. um, we, we talked earlier about, um, you know, dogs being about two things, whatever it is they're going to gain through practicing something, what's going to ensure their survival. So if they're gaining through, um, if they're gaining anything, um, it's going to reinforce the state of mind, the behavior, the, the choice or whatever that directly preceded it. So if they're, the crate door is opening and they're gaining access to the outside world through practicing a, like, you know, oh my freaking God, uh, a tornado state of mind type thing, they're going to continue practicing that. Um, so I, you know, if, if I'm, when it comes to the crate and crate training with the dogs that I work with, um, mm. I do not allow them access through the, through the door without, without them practicing calm. Like yeah. they're, they're not, they're not bolting through, they're not, uh, nudging. They're not, they're just sitting and politely waiting calmly. And then yeah. I, and then they go out when I, when I release them, when it's okay. Sure. sure. Um, so, I mean, whether it's, whether it's meals, whether it's attention, whether it's affection, whether it's, uh, getting anything, I mean, when they're gaining anything, it's always through, it's always through calm. Yeah. It, um, so that's, that's kind of, um, I don't know my, my approach is as far as that goes, but yeah, um, no. So what you know, what we see with the working dogs, like I said, the, the old, uh, mentality of keeping that dog separated and, and having it stay in its space and it needs downtime and all these things. Yeah. What we've learned is there's things that are correct and there's things that are incorrect. First and foremost is like we keep saying, knowing the dog in front of you. Yes. Absolutely. Separating the dog and keeping it in the kennel all the time and not taking it out inhibits the connection and the bond between the handler and yes. the dog. Yes. And that, that disconnect, how do I expect a handler to know their dog really well? And how do I expect that, that dog to know its handler really well yeah. if they are separated for the majority of the social activities that occur within the dog's life? And you only know them under one, one context. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which there makes you less efficient. Yeah, there was a blurb that I did not too long ago on um, inclusion versus exclusion. Okay. And um, it, I mean, it, it was it was speaking it was speaking directly to, to to this. I mean, just not including our dogs in you know the the daily goings on in, in life, and just you know, so they learn how to um, uh, navigate navigate yep. things outside of you know just so developing. Uh, when it comes to behavior, I, I break behavior into two categories. One is mm -hmm. classroom behavior and the other is real world and functional behavior. 
classroom behavior speaks more to the mental body of the dog. Um, it includes like obedience, the brain training stuff, agility, uh, vocational training, you know, more purposed, um, uh, more purposed tr- styles of training, like search and rescue and detection sure. and protection and all of that stuff. And then the real world and functional behavior, which speaks more to the emotional body of the dog. It's, uh, I mean, the difference between the two is kind of like uh, what kids learn in school, like how to read, how to write, add, multiply, divide. It's brain training versus yep. what they should be learning at home. And this includes like their self and world concept. What I mean by that is how they feel in their own skin, how they feel mm-hmm. in the world around them, uh, manners, uh, state of yep. mind conditioning, relationship, um, developing healthy coping mechanisms in times of discomfort. So absolutely. You know, so I, I think there was, um, I was with a, a, a well-known, well, a world-famous trainer some months mm-hmm. ago, and we were having a mm-hmm. conversation about behavior, and she was saying that, no, behavior's behavior. Behavior's a, a response to a stimulus, and just it's mm-hmm. across the board. That is behavior. But, you know, but we're multi-dimensional beings. I mean, we've got yeah. the mental body, the emotional body, the physical body, the energetic, spiritual body, whatever you want to call it. And we've got different aspects of ourselves that need to be spoken to and developed and, 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 and conditioned and nurtured. And, you know, when we're just speaking to one single solitary aspect of the dog, which, you know, a lot of when people think of dog training, especially in the pet training world, you know, they just think obedience, you know, everything is obedience. Oh, my dog's counter surfing. He's jumping. He's using people as a springboard. Um, you know, he's doing this and that he needs obedience training, but it's a completely different, it's a completely different, uh, a beast here. So the classroom behavior speaks more to the mental body, the real world and functional, uh, speaks more to the emotional body of the dog. But, um, no, and that's, and what, and what, you know, what I was talking about with that, you you hit up, hit up a lot of points, which is. If that dog is kept in a kennel or yeah. in a crate a majority of the time, it is missing out on the abilities yes. to become better mentally to how to address or to be in a state or behavior uh, in various types of environments. Yeah. Also, how to engage and communicate with us or around other people. Yeah. Uh, in such situations. Now, I will say, obviously. Yeah, when, when you have a dog who's trained to bite and you have a police dog, you have responsibilities there uh, as far as safety goes. Um, and with that said, you, you know, the handler is the, is the expert at that point. Um, they know what might work and what may not work. But what we are seeing on the actual behavioral and research side of things to, to the cognition aspect is the more the dog is engaged with us, and in our environment, the better and more well-rounded the dog is, the better the dog is able to cope with any number of situations as well as being able to problem solve. Yes. And problem solve is a major aspect for any type of working dog, even sport dog, because you're asking them to go look or go work in an environment and you don't have the answer. So as the handler, you don't have the answer, which means the dog has to learn how to problem solve and figure things out. And by doing that, they are, again, better and well-rounded, but Mm -hmm. they need that interaction with the environments more than just being in a kennel and being in a back of a car and then going places, you know, that that are work-related. By being around you, they're 
getting that engagement. They're learning all these other aspects of life and the bond between handler and dog vastly increases. And we are seeing better brain development on dogs that have been out and about and with and engaging with their people. So uh, holding back from that actually does not really increase or create a better working dog. It has and creates limitations to that working dog. So it's, it's a mindset. Yeah. That we have to, we have to change. Yeah. So we've, we've done lots of uh, talking about uh, the uh, psychological and the uh, emotional aspect of dogs, but you had a lot of stuff about the supplements. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about, you know, um, like you kind of talked about earlier when we first started doing a description of what your background was, um, what have you seen or what are some big things when it comes to supplements that you now do that have a uh, profound effect on the dogs? I know you mentioned vaccines and I know you mentioned the flea and tick and the heartworm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some, some things that, uh, what are some, some practices that you follow when it comes to your supplements that you feel that are really good or helpful for those with working dogs or even if there's anything specific related to a detection dog, but yeah. Just in general, what are some good um, well, things and why you use certain ones? Uh, well, a dog's body is a dog's body. And again, I, I think I just, I focus on building the immune system and different dogs are going to have different things going on, like seasonal allergies or food allergies or whatever, which are inflammatory based things. Um, and it affects the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, I... Uh, When it comes to um, nutrition and supplementation, um, again, like I'm really big on feeding real versus um, not. So there's there's a difference between real food and and food like product. And the supplements that I use are, you saw in the little booklet, are whole food supplements like, you know, raw, organic uh, coconut oil and Mm -hmm. organic turmeric and uh, green lip muscle and uh, all, all of those different things, apple raw, apple cider vinegar. And there's, there's a big difference, like whatever food, what we put in our bodies affects our state of mind and behavior. Mm -hmm. It, it, it just like with people, just like with kids, you know, kids that live off of white bread, jiffy peanut butter with uh, Welch's grape jelly sandwiches and uh, Cheetos and Mm -hmm. Reese's peanut butter cups for dessert and Capri Suns or Uh something like that. Um, there's just whatever we put in our bodies literally becomes us. It becomes our hair, our skin, our nails, our blood, our bones, our organs, our tissues. It becomes us. And there's a big difference between, uh, eating and feeding and actually nourishing. And I focus on nourishing and, um, every, Gosh, our, our, our physiology, there's so much information. Nutrition's like talking about ooh, like religion or politics. It can be like a oh, really, yeah. oh, a it, really it, personal it topic and I, and I get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, every, and there's a lot of confusion around it too. A lot of us get our nutritional information from like marketing and advertising and commercials yeah. and, and all of that. But our physiology, every animal's physiology is giving us invaluable information as to mm-hmm. what that animal should be taking in for a strong, robust immune system and health. Okay. Just there's information in the physiology. So like if you consider 
uh, like the, the physiology of a chicken. They've got the beaks, they've got the claws, they're constantly pecking at the ground and scratching at the ground. That's so they can pull uh-huh. up bugs and worms and insects and stuff because that's their staple diet. That's yeah. their natural diet, not a quote unquote vegetarian diet or a grain diet or whatever. When an animal eats a diet that's unnatural to their physiology, it creates both malnourishment. <laughs> hey, it's been hey, raining. Is- it's been raining super hard here all day long, <laughs> and they haven't been like we've been out a number of times throughout the day just for relief. But oh yeah, camping out all day, and I'm like, please God, please just <laughs> be chill during this podcast, please. Uh, well, but, it's funny is the great thing is you have a bunch of dog people listening, so everybody can relate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thanks for your understanding, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we're all in this together. But Absolutely. um, but yeah, so I mean, whenever we eat a diet that's unnatural to our physiology, it creates malnourishment and inflammation in the body, which are two of the main culprits underlying. A great many of the the ailments and the illnesses and the diseases that we're all suffering from nowadays, humans too. And I mean, one out of two dogs is getting diagnosed with cancer now, which is just astounding to me. That is just astounding. So, um, you know, I, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm real, I feed my guys a a raw food diet. I mean, they eat uh, raw organ meat, raw muscle, raw bone, and they get supplements. Um, with, with the canine physiology, they, so dogs, like if you compare human and canine physiology, like humans, people, we've got mostly flat grinder teeth with a couple of canines, yep. which yep. indicates to me that we can take in some animal product um, and, and some meat, but it's not supposed to be the majority or the bulk or the staple of our diet. Plus mm-hmm. a lot of the animals that we're getting our uh, food from that we're consuming are really unhealthy animals. They ate diets unnatural to their physiology, like cows eating uh, vegetarian diets and grain diets, chickens too, them being injected with hormone steroids and antibiotics, them leading like living super high stress lives. I mean, it affects the health of the animal. Those are the animals that we typically eat and we eat whatever they eat. We eat whatever they were injected with. So, um, I'm really big on source. Like I, you know, dollars are votes. And whenever we purchase okay. something, we're, we're casting a vote for the practice that got it there. Sure. So I'm, I'm really big on uh, finding like ethically and respectfully and responsibly raised animals that weren't injected with any nonsense and that had diets, you know, natural to their physiology. Sadly, it can be, you know, kind of hard to find, but. I was going to say um, those things become difficult these days just because like you said, the ease of the other things is yeah. what obviously drives a lot of uh, yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like, you know, we, we have the, um, the flat, mostly flat grinder teeth, couple canines, the digestion process starts when food hits our mouths. So mm-hmm. when we start chewing, we, um, secrete saliva, but we also secrete a carbohydrate digesting enzyme called salivary amylase, which breaks the cell walls down of any carbohydrate, like any plant thing that we're taking in, making the nutrition within more bioavailable to us. But dogs don't even produce that. The digestion process doesn't even start until food hits their stomachs. Um, So it's in order for them to really gain any kind of nutritional benefit from like a carrot or uh, anything like that, we have to break the cell walls for them. And they do gain benefit from, from plant matter, but any carbohydrate should be more supplementative in nature. Uh, to their diet. They're just, they, they've got, 
you know, they, they've got super acidic pH balances in their systems. They got really, really short intestinal tracts. Um, you know, if we didn't clip and file down their nails and do all that, I mean, they, they'd be a lot sharper. So there's just, there's an awful lot that their physiology is just is telling us. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, with people we've, you know, our, our pH balance, our most natural balance is, is more alkaline in nature. However, we do tend to take in a lot of acid producing foods and acid producing beverages was kind of knocks that out of whack, but our intestinal tracts are super long, like what, 24, 26 feet in length. Yeah. Um, our nails are more rounded. So, I mean, there's just, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information just, just in our physiology. So, oh, absolutely. um, there's, there's a lot of schools of thought when it comes to like, uh, you know, food and nutrition and raw feeding, especially, um, I, you know, I just kind of use what has worked for me. I mean, every dog, I mean, nutrition is going to be individual for every dog, just like it is for every human, you know, there's going to be varying needs. Like I've got, uh, one of my dogs that, uh, can't really stomach or digest egg yolks. I'll give them like raw egg yolks. So, um, one of my dogs, I won't give an egg yolk to one of my dogs can't really, um, take in anything, you know, any dairy. So I don't, you know, I, sometimes I'll give them, um, like whole food, plain grass, you know, uh, kefir yogurt from like a grass fed cow and you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my dogs can't really stomach. Um, she doesn't do well with, with any dairy products. So I don't give her dairy. So it's going to vary, uh, here and there, but, um, man, I, I, I gotta tell you, like just the, my, my female, uh, she had seasonal allergies for a long time and she was starting to sh- uh, show early signs of arthritis. And I swear, like, when I switched all of them over completely to a real food diet and a more species and biologically appropriate diet that went away. Like she's, she zooms up and down the stairs. I mean, she's the oldest dog that I have in my pack. And I mean, she's got more energy and she's so shows no sign of, of arthritis. Um, and she's got no allergies at all. So it's just our focus I mean, it, I, I think when it comes to food and nutrition, our focus should really be on source, how clean is, mm-hmm. is the source, and, um, of course, how biologically appropriate it is. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So, but let's just say the, we, uh, we have – go ahead. I was just saying our, our focus should be on that and just strengthening and building the immune system because what we see on the outside is always reflective of what's going down on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, let's just say you have the average person who, for whatever reason, you know, doing a full uh, real diet is more difficult for yeah. any number of reasons. Yeah. So, but what is something that, what are some things that they could add to the food that they purchased? What are some things that, give me like two or three things that you think, hey, if they at least add this to what you currently feed, you would see a general or overall benefit to the dog's, you know, uh, system, their body, what have you? Well, I mean, I think, um, adding some, um, gosh, there's, well, if they're eating a food like product diet, then, um, I would say feeding, uh, some really powerful anti-inflammatories would come into play. So maybe like, uh, I'm sure they can find a, a recipe for turmeric paste online, um, but turmeric paste, um, 
giving them a, a little bit of that. I think if you if you look up uh, Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney Habib, have you heard of Rodney? No, I have not. And then oh, you should do, check him out. I say what we can do is uh, once we get done here, you can give me this information and I will yeah. put it in the episode show notes. Yeah. So people can can follow that information. Yeah, he's on this amazing mission to educate quote unquote pet parents or what he calls them. Um, on, on just nutrition, he was able to reverse cancer in his own dog and the work that he's, he's gained such a huge following since he travels around the world, educating people on this stuff. And it's just mind blowing, amazing, awesome information. Every, everybody should, should know it, but I'll, I'll definitely, uh, give you that info. But, um, yeah, I, I would just say like, yeah, turmeric paste, um, green lipped muscle, um, I'm, you know, I give one of the daily supplements pretty much that, that I give my dogs on the re- regular is raw organic, uh, coconut oil. Okay. Um, I always keep wild caught sardines in uh, spring water without salt on hand. Okay. And they'll eat like a, you can add like a couple of real sardines. And even, I mean, even if they, um, there's a lot of different things. I mean, you can play with it a lot of different ways. I mean, it's not that you have to have like a, a raw food diet, like hundred percent of the time or, you know, go, sure. go gung ho like me, but even replacing some meals, um, you know, with, with that, giving them some, you know, raw meat or, or whatever. Um, I think there's this, uh, common fear that, Oh, what about the bacteria or what if uh, they get salmonella or, you know, whatever, sure. but they've got such acidic systems. They're built for that stuff. Yeah. My guys, I've had, one of the, you know, actually one of the biggest things that I've noticed aside from their skin health, their coat health, um, and all of that is they don't poop as much because mm-hmm. you know, what is poop? Poop is waste. And because yep. the body's actually absorbing and using the nutrition, the food that they're taking in, they're not producing as much waste and it's taken on a completely different texture. I mean, oh, not yeah. to, like quote unquote talk shit, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, you can. Believe me. In fact, sometimes people are like, you know, I've had comments. I had two chemists on there. They're like, "Can we cuss on here?" I'm like, "Sure." It's not going to offend many people at all. But no, it's that's that was actually pretty funny. That was that was you had good comic relief and you got to cuss, so it was even better. Yes, I hit the nail on head. Yes, the um. And, you know, and that's why we knew the that book you gave me, the doggy supplement book. I, yeah. That's what I loved about it was, yeah. and I listeners out there uh, will we'll have a link to her website here in a little bit. But this little book is so handy because it has these various different supplements, and it talks about all the different uh, what the benefit is, what it is, how to use it. Um, I found it very, very handy to have. Oh, awesome! Um, Oh yeah, I mean, I think to me that should be a staple for most people to have, just because it's so quick and easy to use. Yeah, and sure. and and just having it next to my dog food area, yeah, keeps my mindset of like, oh, let's put this in there today, or let's add this to that. Yeah. So just so the 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 dogs get one something different, but you know, one of the things that I had been doing more recently was pumpkin, and yeah, you know, for the diet for um for dietary. Fiber. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. For fiber and, you know, like you said, for talking shit, the dogs were <laughs> you know, had a few dogs that were on the runs. And one of the cool things yeah. that we did was um, take the pumpkin uh, paste, you know, paste it and then freeze it, make it like ice cubes. Mm-hmm. And it became a little treat that we used for the dogs. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, and it was an easy way to, to for the dogs to to have that and use it for, 
any cu- couple different things, but dogs just liked it. It was different because it was being the ice format. They got to lick it and, you know, chew on it a little bit. And it wasn't just as simply as always putting it. So there's, there's creative ways to um, put the supplements into the dog's diets. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, in itself helpful. So yeah. I'll do one last question here on supplements, which is sure. what would be a good, what, okay, what are common ailments? You brought up allergies, so we'll try something else. Uh, I'll give an example. So I have a dog. Um, they, they, all the dogs play together. So the younger dog had somewhat of like a little limp from playing or doing whatever. And yeah. you brought up a second ago an anti-inflammatory. So what is a good common, or what's something for a common ailment? What's a good, you know, supplement or two that you're like, Hey, this is a common thing I see happen with dog and dog people. This is what I would use for something like that. Basically. Um, well, I mean, again, like the, the turmeric paste, there's glucosamine. Uh-huh. Um, also, um, but uh, all of that stuff, just with, with the uh, book, you can look up whatever, whatever are really excellent anti-inflammatories mm-hmm. and kind of concoct and make up your own, um, come here, Raina, your own regimen from yeah. there. No, I, and again, that little, and I, and for those that saw my social media post, you know, I had that photo on there and I'll be placing it again, obviously when this episode airs so people can see it. But, um, so what? Are, so obviously those things are on your on your website. What would you, what would you um, say to people that you know? What kind of person is the average uh, somebody that finds your website? What are they looking for? It's the person for for obviously learning about their dogs and the relationship mm-hmm. supplements. How else would you describe your your website and what you do? Oh well, I mean it's it, I'm I'm a dog training and behavior company. Um, I mean, it's, I, I specialize in behavioral issues and behavioral challenges. It really is addressing both ends of the leash though. And like I I said earlier, um, it's, it's an inadvertent life coaching. I mean, it's, uh, redefining relationship, redefining a lot of things really. Um, but I mean, the, the, um, doggy supplement, uh, booklet, I, I, um, Whenever people sign on for training, they get enrolled, and I've got two online courses. One is the Canine Essentials course, um, which covers like language and communication, structured walking, the human ingredient, uh, nutrition, um, a, n- a number of different things. And it's got like downloadable PDFs and fun sheets and all that. And then uh, what to feed your dog and why. So whenever clients sign on, they get enrolled in both those courses because I'm just I'm really big on. Um, information and just building people's yep. personal libraries. Yes. Um, and you've got various styles of learning. You know, some people mm-hmm. are more visual, some people learn, you know, through doing things. I mean, so I try to hit on all the, the different learning styles and um, capabilities. Yep. Um, but they also get what I call a welcome kit, which includes uh, like a, a tree training pouch and a, a clicker for using clickers for anything. Yep. Um, it includes the doggy supplement rack booklet. Um, it includes like any special collars or leashes or whatever we might be using to aid and facilitate communication. Um, anything that we're using basically in the training gets put in the kit. So um, it's not the, the supplement booklet isn't something that I have on the website. So if people go to the website, they're going to see, um, just a lot of information. They're going to get, uh, the, the 411 on our programs and, um, our approach to training the testimonials and things like that. 
I have a feeling that supplement on the website. I was gonna say, I said I have a feeling the supplement book might find its way to your website before too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you might get a lot of requests for that one to be its own product after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. No problem. Yeah. The uh, and for everybody listening, the the way you can reach out to Kimberly and you can find her is packfit.net. P-A-C-E-K-F-I-T dot net. And I I personally thank you so much for coming on here and spending the the past hour and and talking about this. And I'm sure we'll do another one soon. And you and I have already talked about uh, the possibility of putting together or doing a joint seminar. Oh, Uh, yeah. You have a reason to come out to Vegas even more. So I would love that. Yeah, we could have a lot of fun with that. So, um, but again, uh, in the show notes will be the website. And if she wants me to share the email, I'll put that on there as well for those that want to reach out. But obviously you go to the website, you get the same thing. But uh, <laughs> but again, you know, the, a lot of listeners are always hungry for information and I always highly suggest that they reach out to, to our guests on the show and, and go direct with them because sometimes I'm just a go-between anyway. And I'm like, here's their information. You can reach out and, and talk to the person directly. But I hope, you know, and thank you again for sharing all the information. And I hope a lot of the listeners uh, have taken something from this and maybe look at something with a new point of view, um, taking the lessons that we talked about today, calm breeds calm and how to have the yeah. better communicative or communicative uh, relationship with your dog. Yeah. And then how to take care of the dog from the inside out with the right kind of supplements and the right kind of diet and how those things dramatically affect, and I can say personally, affect a detection dog. You know, like talking yeah. about the tissues and things like that that are swollen or allergies. Um, just making simple adjustments to the dietary aspect can have a significant out, uh, out or a result, I should say, yeah. um, or how the dog does. So with that, um, everything will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, oh, your your, your knowledge that you shared was invaluable for sure. Oh, thanks. There is actually, if, if, um, if I may, there is yeah. one little other piece of information that, um, do. that I didn't cover. And it was, um, yeah. just about enzymes when it comes to food. So yes, the, the food like product. So, um, kibble, dry food, wet food. Um, uh, when a, when a living, breathing body is born, we're all born with, uh, what I call a, a bank account of enzymes, if you will. There's, mm-hmm thousands of different types of enzymes and they're responsible for various things, but there's three main types. There's metabolic digestive and food enzymes that we're supposed to get from our food. But because most of us are eating either a a heavily cooked uh, diet or a highly processed diet, we're not giving our bodies the enzymes that it needs. So where the bank account analogy comes in is if we're over time, when we're consuming a diet that is enzyme deficient, uh, what our bodies will do from is leach from our own enzyme stores to help process and move the food through. So if we're constantly making withdrawals and we don't make any deposits via enzyme-rich foods, which is okay. the r- raw foods, because whenever heat's applied to any food, it starts to alter the composition of that food. Yeah. It, really, depending on who you ask, like between 105 and 118 degrees. Um, but the the enzyme activity starts to go away. The vitamins, minerals, the phytonutrients, it just basically everything that makes that food awesome and whole. So, um, you know, in the case of food light product, they replace what was lost in the, in the processing, like in the high heat blasting. Okay. So, and it's usually replaced with a bunch of artificial, you know, yeah. crap. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but like, you know, the, the latest buzzword in the dog food world is grain free. 
uh, grain, oh, yeah. you know, everything's grain free. But what they did was they actually, when they removed the grains, which is excellent, yay, uh, f- from a physiological standpoint, they shouldn't be taking in grain anyway. Um, but what they did was they replaced it with starchy vegetable products. So like sweet potato starch, a uh, white potato starch, sweet pea starch, and you know, starch when it's consumed gets converted to glucose, glucose is sugar, sugar is yeah. the number one cancer feeder. So, you know, even just incorporating, um, uh, uh, just, you know, a, a raw meal here and there, um, you know, just swapping out a regular food for a raw food meal or, or whatever could really benefit them and, and giving them, you know, like, um, sardines or like raw egg yolk or anything, um, that hasn't been like heated. It will, yeah. it will definitely benefit them in some way, shape or form, even if it's like raw dehydrated, uh, treats like liver treats or something, okay. but it's, yep. it's important to get the, um, the, the raw stuff in, uh, however we can. Absolutely. And you're right. I see one of the things I've seen more, especially in the nose work world is because they are very treat oriented for the reward system. Mm-hmm. Um, people are using much better treats now, uh, versus Good. just the typical you know, thing you can go buy off the shelf. So I, I actually have seen, uh, quite a few that take their dog's dietary needs in mind when they are using food as a reward-based system for training. That's so so excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something to be considered. If you don't think of that, that's another easy way to uh, give your dog the nutrients it needs because you're using it in a treat-based system, but at least you're actually doing it and you're doing something with a, a good product that's beneficial for the dog that helps them out quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's yes. when, when we don't make any deposits and we're making more withdrawals, you know, eventually our account goes bust. So then that's yeah. when, again, you've got inflammation, malnourishment and all the fun stuff that, that happens from that become offshoots of that. Yep. That's where so, the problem starts. Yeah. Absolutely. Food is love. Food is yep, love. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes too much love. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Again, thank you so much for doing oh, this. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And like I said, it won't be the last. We'll be doing more. And those, like I said, want to reach out to Kimberly. All the information will be in our show notes. And then when I post all of this, of course, online that you guys will find all the information will be there as well. So again, until the next episode of Canine's Talking Sense, we'll catch you then. Well, that concludes this episode of Canine's Talking Sense. I really hope everybody enjoyed listening to Kimberly uh, talk about her experiences, share that wealth of information that she has that helps have a better, healthier relationship with you and your dog. Our next episode for the month of our canine health and wellness is going to be with Joanne Brenner of Canine Medic. Joanne has a ton of experience. She teaches all the time, all over the place for Canine Medic. And her and I sit down and discuss many of the different aspects detection dog handlers face and detection dogs themselves face when it comes to safety and first aid. We go over all kinds of different things. Some are preventative, some are treatment-oriented, but that's a really, really great episode. So stay tuned for that one. That'll be out probably right around Christmas. Also, speaking of the new year, it is already hitting the ground running for me at Silver State Canine. Between classes at Silver State and seminars abroad, 
I'm already booked pretty much through the month of May. That said, Silver State Canine has updated our website. We have a new interactive calendar where you can go to the calendar, look at events, and if there's something you want to sign up for, just click on the event on the calendar. It'll take you to a sign-up page. You can complete the page and sign up for whatever class and or seminar that we're doing at Silver State Canine here in Las Vegas. So go to the website, check out that calendar. Our first seminar is already going to be that very first week of January. It'll be January 4th and 5th. It's the Canine Cognition Seminar. I've had lots of people requesting uh, for me to come out and do that seminar, and I'm doing that a lot of different places around the United States and Canada. But this is going to be an easy one for you guys to come out to Vegas, sit down at Silver State Canine. We'll do the cognition testing. You'll learn the cognition testings. You'll do it yourself. But also, in our spare time, those of you that have detection dogs that you might bring with you, we'll run some of the stuff here at Scent City and let you guys have some fun. So, again, with that said, I really appreciate everybody's feedback. If you have any questions, if you need more information, or you want to request me to come out to do a seminar in your area, shoot me an email. Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at Ford, F-O-R-D, K-number-9.com. That's Cameron at FordK9.com. I look forward to hearing you guys, your feedback. Uh, words of encouragement are always awesome. And until the next time, we'll talk to you again on the next episode of Canines Talking Sense. Talking Sense.